Well, if you have a Bible with you this evening, please turn with me to Psalm 13. We're taking a break from our Genesis study this evening to look at the psalm, a psalm of lament of David. Psalm 13, verse 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. We thank God for the reading of his word. Well, as we come to God's word, let's pray again to him now, that he would open our hearts and minds, as Jeff said, to hear the truth of his words. We'll be echoing the words of a prayer, an old prayer written by one of the saints gone before. So let's pray. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I wonder, can any of you recall your last response to the question, how are you? How are you? Now, I'm willing to bet that when most of us hear that question, we default to our classic Northern Irish response of not too bad. Or maybe even you're like me and you like to spice things up a bit and instead go with an I'm all good. And we love these responses, don't we? And now I'm sure there are times when genuinely we aren't too bad and things are all good. But I don't think I could believe that for 52 weeks of the year, twice every Sunday, morning and evening, that every single one of us is always feeling not too bad, we're all good. And I'm not here to condemn those who say these things because if you've ever spoke to me after church, you'll know I'm talking about myself. But when we say this, it's not always true, is it? Things aren't always not too bad. They're not always all good. And in fact, often things are quite the opposite. You see, pain is something that every Christian will experience in one way or another to varying degrees, of course. And I don't know how you are right now as you come in this evening. Maybe you are experiencing a time of intense suffering 
And maybe you're not. Maybe in life you've been through what can only be described as deep pain. Or maybe like me, such a time is yet to come. But whether we have suffered, whether we are suffering, or whether we're not, every single one of us needs to learn biblically how to deal with our pain in a way that honors our God. And the first thing we see from this Psalm, Psalm 13, is that we can express our pain to God. That we can express our pain to God. Reading the first two verses of this psalm, we're struck with the sense of an unending pain that David is enduring. Look down with me, see the amount of times he expresses his frustration of unending pain. Verse 1 and verse 2. To the choir master, a psalm of David, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long, how long, how long, how long? The pain David is suffering, it seems to be unending. Four times he asks of the Lord, how long? Firstly questioning if God has forgotten him altogether. And what a question for David to ask God. David, he's not even asking if he's been forgotten. He's asking how long he'll be forgotten for. He seems to have already given into this idea that God has forgotten him and is now appealing that he at least not be forgotten forever. And now we know that God has not forgotten David. He's not turned his face away despite what verse 1 states. God does not leave his people. And we need to get this right, that if you are a child of God, he will never leave you. He is always and will always be with you. But what David is showing us here, what Psalm 13 shows us in verse 1, is that it may not always feel that way. In our lives, although he hasn't, it may feel as if God has forgotten us. And hence verse 1, will you forget me forever? And just imagine what kind of torment and suffering and pain David must have been going through to ask such a question. David, who is literally the king of God's people, the man who is said to seek after God's own heart. In Old Testament terms, David is the guy. He's the one. He's the king who loves God, the king who will restore Israel, the man who once again brings God's blessing back to his people. I mean, David, he's so highly respected. David is so highly respected, so important, that Jesus himself is said to be the son of David. And in Old Testament terms, you'd really, really be struggling to find a man greater than David. And yet here, David is in such a place of misery and pain that he asks of God, will you forget me forever? The person God loves, the man who loves God, feels like God has left him. He cries out, will you forget me forever? And yet I think that is what is beautiful about the Psalms, that David, he is so personal in how he writes. 
in how he pours out his heart before God, and yet there is clearly room for each of us to echo the very same words in our lives. This psalm, it's not simply a part of David's diary. It's an example of how God's people should call out to him. An example of how we, as a church, should cry out to him. At the start of the psalm, we see that David has wrote this psalm to the choir master for all of Israel to sing. So David himself wants to teach us, God wants to teach us that as his people, this is how we can cry out to him. Because many of us in this way can be very much like David. That like David, we know God's character. We know he is faithful. We know that he is good. But we still find ourselves crying out in our hearts, how long? And maybe you ask yourself, has God forgotten me? Well, yes, you know in your mind the the truth of his word. You know his promises that he will never leave you, that he'll never forsake you. But you really struggle to believe that they're true. And maybe even right now, in this moment, in this time of intense, unending suffering, well, those promises, they don't feel at all true. And so although we know on our heads that God will never leave us, we might really, really struggle to believe it in our hearts. And how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? We see David ask this question in the second half of verse 1. And is it not bad enough that God has seemingly forgotten about David, but he has also hidden his face from him? God's face hidden from his own king, the face of the Lord that is said to bring blessing and peace and riches of grace. It seems to be hidden from the very king of his people. And this feeling, it seems to be the exact opposite of what we would expect, isn't it? It would certainly be the opposite of what David would expect. We read in Numbers chapter 6 of God's blessing over Israel, the ironic blessing that many of us are familiar with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This blessing, this promise of blessing and grace and peace, David He would know it in his head to be true. Intellectually, he would know it in his mind as the king of Israel. He would be more than familiar with this passage of scripture. And yet this blessing, it doesn't feel at all real to David. It doesn't feel at all real to him. Well, God has said that his face will shine upon his people. And yet David, as the king of this people, At the start of the psalm asks, how long will you hide your face? And David, he feels forgotten by God. He feels God has hidden from him. And so this causes immense torment and a great struggle for David. Verse 2, David asks, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And if you have the NIV, that verse would read slightly differently. And it would say, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? And in either translation, I think it's clear to see that David feels alone. He feels lonely. 
And if we look back at Psalm 12, the Psalm just before this, we see that David is crying out to God that the faithful have vanished. We see that in Psalm 12, verse one. David here, he feels that there is no other man on the face of the earth who is seeking after God's heart. And now as we move to Psalm 13, that feeling of loneliness is amped up. As we move from David feeling abandoned by men in Psalm 12 to now even feeling abandoned by God in Psalm 13. And this sense of abandonment and loneliness, it leads David to a point of deep, deep sorrow. A place of what seems like unending sorrow. There is no comfort from the world around him. He can only find comfort in his soul as he wrestles with his thoughts. As he wrestles with his thoughts. You see, it is not an easy task. And David, he's not moping around. He's actively trying to reconcile in his mind the truth of God's word with his painful experience. He is actively trying to understand the truth of how God can be good even when he has been brought to this this place of sorrow and pain. And how many of us here tonight can relate to David in that? Because in this psalm, we see a man full of hurt, full of pain, full of anguish, desperately trying to understand how God's word can be true, even in the midst of suffering. But it is not easy. And in fact, it's very, very difficult to wrestle, to reconcile the truth of God's word and the experience of suffering. And I think I can say with certainty that many of us here know that personally. And many of us here are also crying out to God in one way or another, how long, O Lord? Now, I don't know exactly what each of you is going through as you come here to church this evening. But I know that for many of us, for many of you here, well, you know the pain of suffering all too well. But be encouraged tonight that like David, we can bring our complaints and pain before our God. We can bring the feeling of his absence before him. And we can cry out, how long? And as it's true that we are called to bring our personal struggles and complaints before our God, what this psalm is teaching us is that so too we are called to bring our struggles and complaints before God as his corporate people. As his church, we are called to cry out to God, how long until all he has promised to do comes to pass? How long, O Lord, will corporate worship be not just twice on a Sunday, but the never-ending reality of our lives? How long until we're not just singing three or four songs to you in our service, but we're singing endlessly to you in glory? How long, O Lord, until our sinful hearts can be truly and completely filled with joy for you? How long, O Lord, until the communion meal we experience here on earth is fulfilled in heaven as we live with you forever? How long, O Lord, shall evil prosper here on earth? How long, O Lord, until you 
judge the wicked? How long, O Lord, will sin be celebrated by our society, celebrated by our governments? You see, like David, we are not short of how longs. But we are encouraged to bring these before our Father in heaven who loves us. Because whether we have personally experienced deep anguish and pain and suffering, or whether we have not, every single one of us needs to learn how to process suffering in a biblical way, in a way which honors God. And that begins by expressing our pain to God. It begins by expressing our pain to him. But what we also see from the psalm is that expressing our pain should lead us to ask God to respond. Yes, we express our pain, but that leads us to ask God to respond. We see in verse three and four, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. David, after pouring out the complaints of his heart before God, very simply asks, God, consider and answer me. David does not just complain to the Lord and then stop speaking to him altogether. No, David complains But very importantly, he also remembers who the Lord he speaks to is. He remembers that the Lord, Yahweh, is God in control of everything. And so David, he takes confidence in this fact, knowing he can ask God to intervene. And so David, he asks for his questions to be answered. But he doesn't ask for an answer that we expect, does he? You see, many of us, when we bring our problems before God and we ask for God to answer, many of us bring our own agenda, don't we? We already have an idea of how we want God to respond. We ask for God's ruling hand to intervene, but only in the way that is easiest and most painless for us. And so often we want God to act, but only according to our own terms and conditions. But notice what David asks God to do. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Even after bringing so much pain and torment before God. David, he doesn't ask God to answer it his way. He doesn't ask God, God, take my suffering away from me. He doesn't ask, God, remove this pain from my life. No, he asks God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You see, in our own lives, when pain comes, we have two options. Option one, we can reject God. It feels like he's abandoned us, so I guess we'll, we'll just have to abandon him. We'll run away from his church. We'll put the Bible on the shelf, let it gather dust, hide from his word, be finished with God altogether. That's option one. Or option two, we can do what David does. We can take the Bible off our shelf, open it up and be in the word 
We can get stuck into church, listen eagerly to the sermons, get stuck into small groups, serve where we can. You see, there's two options. We can either throw our hands up and reject God, or we can actively seek after him. And so you see, David understands this. He understands that the only real way for God's people to deal with suffering is to have their eyes lit up, to be enlightened. And so we ask, where does this light come from? Well, Psalm 119 verse 105 tells us these words are very familiar to many of us. We sang them here before. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, the psalmist of Psalm 119 understands that it is God's word that gives light. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so David understands that what he needs more than anything is not his suffering to end, not his pain to cease. No, what he needs most of all is his eyes to be lit up by the words of God, to be lit up by Scripture. He needs the enlightenment that comes from God's Word. And I wonder, is that where our similarities with David in the psalm stop? I'm sure many of us, like David, would be very quick to lay all our complaints before the Lord. Maybe you would be very quick to express the pains of your life. But I wonder, would you as quickly ask for God to light up your eyes? We can be very quick to ask for our desires, can't we? Quick to ask God for less stress in our relationships, less rebellion from our children, less anger from the world around us about what we believe. All very good things to ask for, don't get me wrong, but I wonder, are we as God's people as quick to ask God to light up our eyes? Because that's what David does, isn't it? That's what he asks for. And as we've already thought about this psalm, it's for all of Israel to sing. It's what David teaches the entire nation of Israel to ask for, and so it is for us as well. How we respond to suffering, what we ask of God first and foremost should be that his word would light up our eyes, that his word would dwell in our hearts. It's not that asking anything else of God would be wrong. But if we do not ask that God would come for us to come and understand his word, to know his word, for it to dwell in our hearts, if we do not ask God for that, well, I think we've made a a grave mistake. If we want to deal with suffering in a way which honors God. We can't just throw our hands up at him, walk away from him and his church. No, we need to be in the word. Take the Bible off our shelves, open it up, and be in God's word. And so as we know, lament this process of crying out to God, it begins with the expression of our pain to him, which then leads us to ask for a response from him. What we see finally from this psalm, Psalm 13, is how this process concludes with us offering our praise to God. This process of suffering concludes with us 
offering our praise to God. Look down at verse five and six with me. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David, he finishes this psalm with a final statement of his praise for God. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, other psalms of lament may not be as quick to get to this praise. Other psalms may have many, many more verses of complaints or of petition. But what David shows us when he writes this psalm is that if we want to suffer in a way that honors our God, ultimately this will conclude with us praising him. Suffering concludes with us praising God. And David, he understands that even in the midst of pain and suffering, that the pain and suffering he's expressed, that God is still worthy of his praise. That even when God feels hidden, even in the sorrow of David, David's heart, even amidst the triumph of David's enemy, David recognizes that God is still God. And he acknowledges all of the blessings that he has in him. He recognizes the blessing of God's steadfast love, we see in verse five. The blessing of God's unending covenant love for his people. He recognizes the blessing of God's salvation, which leads him to rejoice. We see that again in verse five. And he recognizes that even in his pain and in his suffering, God has still dealt bountifully with him, verse six. And the NIV actually translates that simply as, he has been good to me. The NIV, verse six says, I will sing the Lord's praises, for he has been good to me. And notice it's because of past realities that David is then compelled to praise God. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David, he recalls God's promises, his past goodness, his past faithfulness. And David knows that God does not change, that he has been good, and so David knows God is always and will always be good. He knows God has been faithful, and so understands that God is always and will always be faithful. He knows that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it is because of what God has done that David can respond. God has been good to David first. And so from that, David is moved to the point of praise. And this is where David concludes his crying out to God. And so I think it's safe to say that this is where we should conclude our cries as well with an offering of our praise to the Lord, recognizing who he is, recognizing how good he has been to us, and so singing to him because of that. Because the Lord has been good to us, despite our feelings of abandonment or feelings of hopelessness, God has been good to us. And in fact, we have the privilege to see God's goodness in a way that David even didn't witness. 
Because for David, his hope was in the promises of God. But our hope is in a person in whom all of these promises are fulfilled. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ is the way that God has displayed to us all the reasons for our hope and for our praise. Look down again to verse five with me. Where do we see the steadfast love of God ultimately displayed? Well, it's in Jesus. Verse five again, who grants us God's salvation in which we can rejoice? Well, it's Jesus. Verse six, through whom does God ultimately show his goodness? Through whom does God ultimately deal bountifully with us? Well, it's through Jesus. It's in Jesus that we find reason to trust the steadfast love of God, to rejoice in the salvation he has granted to us and to sing because he has dealt bountifully with us. It is only when we look to Jesus, when we remember him, when we worship him, that we can cry out to God in a biblical way, in a way pleasing to him, in a way that honors him. As we express our pain, as we ask God then to respond, we are ultimately drawn to praise our God. We conclude by praising our God, knowing that he has dealt bountifully with us in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm, Psalm 13. And we thank you how it shows us how we can cry out to you. God, we thank you that you have taught us that we can bring our pain and complaints before you, our Father who loves us. Father, we pray that you help each of us to be in your word, that you would teach and prepare each of us to suffer well in a way which honors you. And Father, we ask that you would focus our eyes on your Son, that in the midst of suffering and pain, we would be focused on your goodness to us in him. And so we pray all of this in your Son's name. Amen.